0: Hey, friends, my name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We're working to build a community position to experience God in daily life. Our weekly teaching is one piece of that work. So as you listen to this week's message, my prayer is that you would hear God inviting you to respond to His love and His desire for you. For more information, you can visit ridgeline.church. Well, for those of you that know me well, you've probably heard me talk about my affection for Eugene Peterson. Uh, he's my, probably my, the pastor that I look up to the most. I've got this new rule where I try to only look up to dead pastors because the living ones tend to be too disappointing, right? So just had too many pastors that are alive that I looked up to that crashed and burned. So I'm really fixated on just dead pastors at this point. Uh, Sadly, uh, Eugene did pass away a number of years ago, but over the last couple years in particular, I've just been so captivated by his pastoral imagination and the deep love that he had not to try to be famous, like is sadly so common, even in ministry in our culture, but just genuinely wanted to pastor a body of people. And so I was listening to an interview with him uh, just a couple of months ago. He was at some leadership event and asked something about pastoring and he said this sentence that I just have not been able to get out of my head he said it's the job of the pastor to pay attention to what's happening here and that sounds so simple but I found that to be very profound and I haven't been able to stop thinking about that for the past few months because if you think about it uh, a pastor is a person who God entrusts with the spiritual care of a group of people. And in order to provide that care means paying attention to what is happening in a community. And so as a pastor, you have to pay attention to what is God doing in our midst? We pay attention to how are we, as the community that make up a church, how are we responding to what it is that God's doing in our midst? And then, and then maybe how is God inviting us to respond to what he's doing in our midst? But regardless pastoral ministry demands paying attention to what it is that's happening here and i'll be honest with you the last couple of years has made that pretty challenging as you can imagine just as it's made it challenging for you to do whatever it is your vocation is as well but if you don't know you know ridgeline was only 18 months old when covid hit and leading through covid an 18 month old church was like trying to help a toddler through a minefield is kind of how it felt We were kind of wobbly every day. I was just like, all right, Ryan, please don't step on anything. That's just going to blow this whole thing up. And so it was just, it was very, very challenging to lead through. And what there wasn't was really very much space for dreaming. There wasn't really space or opportunity or capacity to seek God for some sort of inspiring vision for where he was leading us. There was really only the space for a singular objective And that objective was survival. I have had one goal through the last two years, and that's that we, together as a community, would come out intact on the other side of this. And by God's grace, we have. So many, especially new churches, had to close their doors through COVID, and yet here we all sit, two years later, together still. And that is a tremendous gift from God. In fact, I would even argue that the church that has come out of COVID is so much more healthy, more humble, more compassionate, more loving, more strong, more united than the church that went into it. But the reality is, we are beautifully different than what we were. And if you were here with us before COVID, then you can attest to that. And if this is your first time here with us this morning, just take my word for it. There's been an immense amount of change in our community over the last couple of years, just like my guess is there's been an immense amount of change in your heart, in your life, in your family, in your job over these last couple of years. And so I was thinking about that this week, and I, was, I, was, I started to think about the hero's journey. If you're not familiar with the hero's journey, it is this very common, very popular narrative structure that has been used to tell our best stories all throughout history, And the hero's journey goes something like this. You have a hero or a main character or a group of main characters who set out on an adventure, and then on their adventure, they are met with some sort of severe crisis, some difficulty, some trial that tests everything about who they are. And then they emerge from that trial transformed. And so it's not hard, like, there's an endless number of examples of this. So think about Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. Think about Harry Potter. Think about Frodo in Lord of the Rings. All of those stories follow the hero's journey. And I was thinking about that this week, and and it struck me how our story as a church has really followed that exact same structure. Because we set out on an adventure, nine of us and our kids, to start a new church here in a city with the least percentage of Bible-believing Christians of any city in the United States. And what we were met with, after a few months of favor and momentum, we were met with a pandemic. Not my fave, gonna be honest. We were met with uh, a couple of years of probably the most contentious political social climate, at least in recent history. And we were met with a really long season of forced isolation. And the truth is, it was very, very trying. It was very, very difficult. And it was disorienting. But we have emerged from those two years transformed. We have emerged as a community that is committed to being a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. We have emerged as a church that is deeply committed to spiritual formation, deeply committed to contemplative practice, deeply committed to the pursuit of emotional healing and emotional health as essential to our spiritual healing and health. That has been our journey. And the truth is, that's really the journey that an almost endless number of people in Scripture went through as well. And so this morning... Before I spend much time looking ahead at our next chapter together and where it is that that God is leading us in this next season, I want to look at a man in scripture that went on his own hero's journey of sorts. And don't get thrown off by that word hero. Like if you read the Bible honestly, you need to know the, the Bible has one hero, right? Because nobody else in it looks awesome. And so even if you grew up like in children's ministry with flannel graph, anybody remember that? The flannel graph? That was like that was cutting edge. I remember every time I was like, I can't wait to see it. We had, my mom was a children's minister, so we had it at home, so I felt like we were fancy. <laughs> but the way that we tend to tell stories when kids are young sort of elevates characters of scripture and makes them heroes, when the truth is everyone in scripture except for Jesus is terribly flawed, just like you and me. But we do f- see this narrative structure that we call the hero's journey all throughout scripture. And so I wanna look at one example of that Together this morning and it's an example in the Old Testament in a man's life uh, the man's name was Jacob and so I'm gonna we're gonna specifically look at just one instance in his life in Genesis chapter 32 this morning but here's what you need to know about Jacob if you're not familiar with his story Jacob was a fearful manipulative people pleaser and if he were here this morning he would agree with all of that because that's how the Bible paints him and uh, he had an older twin brother named Esau and when their father, Isaac, was dying, sadly, Jacob made the, terribly, uh, the terrible decision to betray his brother and to steal his older brother's birthright. Now, in that culture, birthright was everything. It was um, security. It was money. It was the family name. And it was Esau's by right. And Jacob made the decision to steal that birthright from his brother. And as you can imagine, Esau was very unhappy about that. In fact, so unhappy that he declared that he was going to kill his younger twin brother. So Jacob catches word that that's his brother's position toward him at that point. And so he runs away to his uncle Laban's and he spends about another 21 years manipulating and cheating his way through life. And so as we drop in this morning on this transformative experience in Jacob's life in Genesis chapter 32. Here's what you need to understand. We are at the end of these 21 years in Jacob's life where he has been with his uncle Laban and he is on his way back to finally face his brother Esau. So it's this very climactic point in his life. And just put yourself in Jacob's position for a second. He was carrying an immense amount of fear, understandably so. Because he still does not know, It wasn't like today, It wasn't like he and Esau had been texting and following each other on the gram. He had no idea what was going on in his brother's head. And for all he knew, his brother very much still wanted to kill him the next time he saw him. And so that's where we find Jacob at the beginning of Genesis chapter 32. It's the night before he's going to see his brother after 21 years of hiding And so look with me in verse 24, and let's look at what happens here. So the story starts like this. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Sometimes we read these stories in Scripture, and and we get so familiar with them that we forget how weird what happens is. So I just want you to think about how this story starts. Jacob's alone, check, I'm okay with that. And then out of nowhere, there's this detail, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Because that's a thing that happens ever in life. You're just by yourself one night, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, there's a rando that looks like they want to wrestle all night long. So it's a very, this story starts off weird. But I do think what is important, all joking aside, to pay attention to is the fact that Jacob is alone. Now here's why Jacob is alone. He has sent everyone, his entire family, his wife, his kids, He has built this like mini empire at this point in his life. And he sends all of them ahead of him toward where it is that he's going to meet Esau. And this in and of itself was yet another act of manipulation. Because his hope in sending this great gift ahead, this hope in sending his wife and his kids ahead, was that Jacob would see all this, receive all of this as a gift, and his heart toward Jacob would be softened. Maybe you've done that if you have someone in your life that you know like, There's a little bit of tension, some conflict. Maybe you get them a gift. Husbands have been surviving their marriages for years with this. Knowing you screwed up in a royal way and you're like, today seems like a great day to bring flowers home. It's manipulative, right? And that's what Jacob is doing. He sends all of this ahead so that Esau's heart toward him will be softened. And so he lags back, wracked with his own anxiety, uncertain of what the next day will hold. And somehow, in the midst of this, he encounters this random person that he ends up then wrestling with all the way through the night. And the truth is, this solitude, when he's alone, provides him with the space for a transforming encounter with God. This is a bit of a spoiler alert if you don't know this story, but this man, as we will learn in verse 30, is actually... God Himself. In fact, this is what scholars refer to, we've talked about this before, as a Christophany. It's a pre incarnate uh, appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. So Jacob is not just, he thinks at first it's just some random guy. It's not just some random guy, it's actually Jesus Himself. And so he spends this entire night wrestling with Jesus, which I think is interesting. Because if you think back on the last couple of years, we've probably all spent a lot of time doing just that. A lot of time wrestling with God. God, where are you in the midst of this? Why have you allowed this? That's not just isolated to this. I know many of your stories. And I know that many of you have immense pain and trauma horrible circumstances that you've walked through. And as a result of what you've walked through, you spend a lot of time wrestling with God. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're in a a season where you're like, you know what? I feel like I'm wrestling with God right now. Here's what I want you to know. You know that's okay. You know that, that wrestling with God is actually what it feels like to genuinely relate with him much of the time. Sometimes we have this image that That life with God is going to be all singing songs and feeling happy and clapping our hands. I mean, not at our church, because we have to basically pay you to clap and sing at the same time. (laughs) And even then, you're like, "Mm, not today. So we have this view that that's what it's like to relate with God. And the truth is, relating with God feels a lot like wrestling much of the time. And we see Jacob in that same space. Look at verse 25 with me says when the man saw that he could not defeat Jacob he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip and then he said to Jacob let me go for it is daybreak but Jacob said i will not let you go unless you bless me what is your name the man asked jacob he replied your name will no longer be jacob he said it will be israel because you have struggled with god and with men and have prevailed And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So you got to give Jacob some credit here, right? Because this is a strong old man. Any view you have of Jacob is like this maybe strapping 30, 35 year old man. Get that out of your mind. Most scholars believe he was 96 years old at this point in his life. I'm 41 and my whole body hurt when I got out of bed today, okay? I'm not gonna be wrestling with anybody through the night when I'm 96 years old. But Jacob just is relentless. He will not let go. And, and even as Jesus himself realizes, well, this is, not gonna, this is not gonna end anytime soon. Think about this detail. He strikes Jacob in his hip socket so hard that it puts it out of sight. So- you know how hard you have to get hit in the hip for your hip to come out of socket, even at 96. Like, that's quite a blow that Jacob endures. And even still, he won't let go because somewhere in this interaction, he realizes, again, this is not just a guy. I'm wrestling with God. And so as he becomes aware that he has experienced the divine, he demands a blessing. And the nature of that blessing, I think, is very significant. What he receives... Is a new name and so God responds to him and says in response to this demand for a blessing he says what is your name which might seem like kind of an odd question but in this culture you're telling someone your name was an act of self-disclosure it was an invitation to to confess your deepest identity And so what is happening here is Jacob is being forced to admit who he has been so that he can be renamed with the promise of who he will be. And so God responds to him and he says, no, no longer are you going to be Jacob, which if you don't know, means he cheats. Not an awesome, not an awesome meaning to your name, right? Ryan means little king. Okay. I love that. (laughs) I've been loving that since I was real small. But I wouldn't be so pumped if my name meant he cheats. But that was what Jacob's name meant. And that was his identity. And so God says, no more will you be he cheats. From this day forward, you are going to be Israel. Because you have struggled with God. And you have struggled with man. And you have prevailed. Look at verse 30. Jacob then named the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, he said, yet my life has been spared. The sun shone on him as he passed by Penuel, limping because of his hip. That is why still today the Israelites don't eat the thigh muscle that is at the hip socket, because he struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle. Now here's what we know about Jacob, or Israel at this point, as we continue to read his story. Through this encounter, he is not perfected, but he is transformed. And it's not just this physical limp that he lives with going forward. But if you were to continue to read his story into the next chapter, Genesis 33, he does wake up and he does go to face his brother Esau. And there's this amazing little detail in Genesis 33 5, where it says, He himself went on ahead. Now, that might just seem like this kind of small narrative detail to you, but the truth is, this is the very first time in Jacob's life when he's not hiding. It's the first time when he's not lagging behind someone else trying to protect himself. He's not trying to manipulate anymore. These five little words say a lot. He went on himself. It is this incredible picture of how this one encounter with God transformed him. And I would argue that his limp also reminds us that sometimes our scars are a memorial to an encounter with God. So many Christians spend so much time trying to hide the scars in their lives. When the truth is, those scars that we have are these incredible trophies of God's goodness to us. Just like this one was in Israel's life. And so here's really, as we, as we look at this story, there's so many different things that we could draw from it. And there's really one thing that I want to point your attention to as our big idea this morning. And the truth is, this isn't just isolated to Jacob's experience here. We see this big idea hold true from start to finish in Scripture. And the big idea is this. When someone, when who someone has been, is incongruent with who God is inviting them to become, he gives them a new name. When who someone has been is incongruent with who God is inviting them to become, he gives them a new name. Now, here's the thing. I, I have spent the last couple of months trying really hard to pay attention to what's happening here, to what has happened the last couple of years as the dust has kind of settled, to really be able to look at, all right, what's been the effect of this? Where are we? How have we emerged from these last couple of years. And it's been in the midst of that that I believe that God is inviting us into a new chapter together. A new chapter in which we get to turn the page and shake the dust from the last two years, amen? Anybody else just like tired of being marked by what has been the last two years? And that's not to say that we don't carry scars from the last couple of years into the future, we do. But we carry them as trophies to God's goodness. He's been faithful to us. He's been with us. He hasn't left us. And so this new chapter is an opportunity to both shake the dust, to turn the page on the last chapter, but also to fully embrace this new identity that God has been writing for us over the last couple of years. And so after a bunch of prayer and a bunch of counsel and conversation. I believe that God is inviting us to step into this next chapter with a fresh and focused identity. And so to that end, we're going to spend the summer months, June, July and August, or, um, sorry, July, August and September, preparing to relaunch our community on Ridgeline's fourth birthday, which is going to be Sunday, September 25th, if you don't know. And we're going to relaunch with the new identity. A formation church and I want you to understand why many of you don't know this but the name Ridgeline actually originated in February of 2017 I was pastoring a church in North Carolina we were associated with a network that had imploded and had toxic leadership at the top and so we had been having conversations as leaders about how to distance ourselves from that because we no longer wanted that association And the church I was pastoring was in North Carolina at the foothills to the Blue Ridge Mountains. And so when you looked up literally from our church, you saw the ridgeline of the Blue Ridge Mountains. So I texted my friend Matt Bourne, who's a part of our church, about this idea. He designed the brand for us. And I was carrying that for a couple of weeks. Well, within that same period of time, it became very evident that it was toxic for my own soul, for my family, and for many of my staff to stay in that position. And so we decided we were going to plant again. So thankfully, when we came and visited here, I was like, whew, still mountains, so it's still going to work. (laughs) So that really hemmed us in. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Now, the weakness of it is simply that it doesn't tell anyone anything about who we are. It doesn't really tell anyone anything about what we believe God wants to do in and through our community. And if you were to ask me, I'm glad you asked. I appreciate that. What, what is the sum of everything that God is always doing in our lives? If I had to answer that question in a word, the word would be formation. In every single thing God does, God allows in your life, his end goal is always your formation. It's always about this process of Christ being formed in us for the sake of others. And it's the entire reason that the church exists. The church is meant to be this critical piece of our formation. And so I cannot think of a better way to tell the city that we are a part of who we are and what we're about than to say, well, what we're really about is formation of God working in all things in our life, to form Jesus' image in us for the sake of others. And in addition to moving into this next chapter with a fresh and focused identity, we also move in with what, for me, is like the clearest, most specific vision and mission that I have ever had on my heart in the last 20 years of being involved in ministry. And I want to tell you about that. So our vision for Formation Church is to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. To be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. And you might be here, if you've been here for a while, you're like, well, that sounds kind of a lot like what we are. It is exactly what we are, which is the good news in this. So if you hear like new name and you think, oh my gosh, everything's changing, everything's not changing. We're naming what God has done in our midst. We're naming the church that we have emerged as from these last couple of years. And so this is who we have become. And so rather than fumble around with some language, this gives us all the same shared language to be able to define and to describe what it is that we are after as a church family. We want to be a place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. Now, here's the thing. We're all hurting Our awareness around it might vary, but the truth is all of us are hurting people. We all have wounds in our life. We all bear the marks and the effects of sin on us. We live in a sinful, fallen, broken world. I don't believe that there is a person on the planet that would deny that. And the world has left us marked. The truth is our own sin has left its mark on our lives. The sin of other people against us has left a mark and has left wounds in our lives. So we're all hurting people. Now, here's the thing about formation. We've talked about this, but I want to remind you, formation isn't really about becoming what we're not. That's not really what God's doing in our lives. Biblically, if we really seek to understand what it is that God is doing in our formation. He's not trying to make us something that we're not. In our formation, it is the process of God restoring who we are. We are image bearers of God. You are a son or a daughter of God. That is written on your soul. That is how God made you. That is who you are. And there is an immense amount of stuff that is all around that, that clouds who God has really made you to be. And our formation is about the spirit of God stripping all of that away so our true identity can shine forth as sons and daughters of God. And that healing happens in relationship with Jesus. And so our vision is to be a safe place for hurting people like you and me to find that healing relationship with Jesus. And so the question is then, well, how do you you go after that? Well, that's what mission is about. And so here's our, our mission for formation church. It's to help people position their lives for formational relationship with Jesus through four things. And you're going to recognize all of these as already present in our church right now: weekly worship, contemplative practices, formation groups, the pursuit of healing of emotional healing. So we believe that those four things position us to experience God's formational work in our lives. So we gather together every single week in God's presence together, and each week we leave just a little bit different. Very, very few and far between are those days where you sit through a worship service and you leave radically transformed, right? That doesn't happen that often. But I do believe deeply that we never leave an encounter with God unchanged. So every time we gather together like this, we leave just a little bit different. And then in the in-between, we're committed to contemplative practices. And if that's an unfamiliar word to you, a contemplative practice is really just any spiritual practice that helps us slow down to be with Jesus. Things like silence and solitude. Things like sitting with scripture and allowing God to speak to us through it. Fasting. All forms of prayer. All of these are just contemplative practices that help us slow down and be with Jesus in a way that forms us. And then we also seek to pursue this together in formation groups, which is what we're going to rename what we currently call squads. And we're going to rename them so that it's in line with our name, but also because formation is what we're after in squads. It's to live in the open with other people in a way that forms the image of Christ in us. And then lastly, we're deeply committed at Ridgeline to the pursuit of emotional healing. And the reason for that is you and I are created in the image of an emotional God. When you read the scriptures, what you see is God experiencing and feeling the full range of emotions. And we are created in his image, which means we are emotional beings. And the reality is the vast majority of the wounds that you and I carry, and that you and I live with, they they, they are held within our emotions. Which means that to be a people who are experiencing freedom in our relationship with Christ, means that where one of the places we need healing the most is in our emotional lives, and we are committed to pursuing that. And so here's, here's really the purpose behind this, this whole thing. We want to align as a community around God's vision and mission for our church. And alignment, if you think about it, is really, it's really important. We had a day, I think I might have told you some aspect of this, but one of the big uh, winter storms we got this year, I was driving my kids to school, and we were like not even two minutes outside of our neighborhood. And I was coming up to a stop sign, and the snow was so heavy and the ice was so much so that I was only going like 10 miles an hour, but as soon as I put on my brakes, I didn't stop at all, and there was another car at the stop sign. And so I veered off to the right, and we smacked into the curb. We had that moment where we were all like, are we all, are we all okay? No, none of the kids fell out. I had all three of them, we were totally fine. And I was like, all right, I think we're okay. And so I started to drive, and I know, like, I just felt like, man, we are slipping all over the road. But I just chalked it up to like, God, it is so icy out today. And so I drove my kids to school and home just to put it in context. It was like 45 minutes of driving on the, usually it's like 20, but it was 45 minutes of driving. And I get home and I tell Tammy, I'm like, babe, the roads are bad today she's like okay she was going to the store so she gets in the same car she's not two minutes in the car before she calls me and she goes hey the steering wheel's like totally broken i was like no it's just it's just really snowy out the roads are really really bad today she's like for sure not turns around comes back (laughs) sure enough i mean you could turn the wheel like all the way around and the car did nothing Uh, just so it would be and so i don't know anything about cars okay so it could have been the engine was broken, the startnator, I don't know. It could have been a bunch of different things. But what I know for sure is the alignment was off. I've been using that startnator joke for like 15 years of speaking, and it's always funny. I do know that's not a thing, just in case you're like, God, our pastor's stupid. What, what was wrong was the alignment was totally off. So we had to take it into the shop. They had to take it all the way apart and put it all the way back together so that that alignment would be fixed. And that, in essence, is what we're after this summer as a community to align around who God has called us to be in this valley. And that alignment is going to require more than just a name change. Just changing the name, just changing the visible brand that people see, that doesn't necessarily help all of us align alone around this identity. And so here's how we're gonna pursue alignment. In July, August, and September, we're gonna take a bold step toward alignment. And that bold step is going to be this. We are going to intentionally step back from Sunday morning worship services over the course of those three months. And instead, we're gonna meet on Sunday afternoons as a core group of people from 4 to 5.30 to get aligned with this identity. Now, many of you I know have never been a part of a church plant. Well, you're a part of one now, just so you know. Now, if you've never been a part of a church plant, you don't don't just like move to a city and start singing and preaching the Bible and having services. That'd be great if it was that easy, but that's not what you do. Instead, what you do is you meet as a core group of people, people who are like, I believe in what God wants to do in this place for these people. And so you meet as a core group for a series of months to align your hearts together around your particular identity, the the vision and the mission that God has for you. And Ridgeline started with just nine adults and nine kids. And think about, for those of you that have been here, think about all that God has done over these past four or five years together. It's been amazing. And now I want you to look around this room and keep in mind, we got a ton of people out and traveling right now in the summer like everybody else. But if you look around this room, theres I'm not awesome at math, okay? But I do know there's more than nine people in this room. And if God has done all that he's done in the last five years, through nine adults and nine kids. Imagine what he could do with all of us. It's time for a new chapter. And I believe that it involves all of us. This is the Formation Church Core Group. And I believe that God wants to do a profound work in us and in our valley through us. And so here is just a couple of logistical details about how this is going to work. And I want you to listen for any, anything you feel like that you've got a question about that I haven't answered. Text those questions in, and we've tried to leave some time so that I can answer as many as we have come in. And I will meet with every single person who wants to meet over the next few weeks and answer every question that you have in your head, okay? So here's a couple of logistical details. Uh, later on today, Pat, did you already launch it? All right, so he's Johnny on the spot. Uh, If you open your Church Center app, don't do it right now, because I don't want to lose your attention for the next 10 minutes, okay? But later, after, in just a few minutes, if you launch the Church Center app, you're going to see that there's a button right there that is going to outline our plan and our schedule for these three months as we Continue to develop this formation church core group. So, you're going to see every topic we're going to cover, how that's going to go. You'll see um, a heading over the topics that we are going to have conversation about uh, week to week through this time. Uh, And then there's also, uh, I have a pastor friend here in Sandy that I met with this week. Uh, They have a new building that's just about a mile and a half from here. And they're confirming everything with their leadership team, but he has said that he thinks that, that we are gonna be able to meet there on Sunday afternoons, which means they already have space set up for kids, we're gonna provide childcare for this so that everyone can just come and hang out, get connected and meet one another, for those of you that don't have existing relationship here yet, and that we can spend a little bit of time every Sunday for a few months just trying to really sit in and to soak in this new identity and vision and mission. And so that's going to take place on Sundays. And then the plan again is to relaunch Sunday services on Ridgeline's fourth birthday, which I think is awesome because it it allows us to honor what God has done in this first chapter of our time together. And so that's going to be Sunday, September 25th. And so for the next two weeks, next two weeks, I've got two more weeks in our Garden State series on core longings that we've been working our way through. So the next two weeks, we'll finish that. The last Sunday of this month, uh, we are going to have a Ridgeline celebration service. So we're going to sing together and pray together, give you an opportunity to share with the whole church how God has used this first chapter in your life. What's been a gift to you? I could sit up here for hours and talk about how these last few years have been a gift to me. And I know that Each of us has our own story. And so we want to create time and space to be able to celebrate everything that God's done in this first chapter as we look with anticipation to the next. And so we're going to take the 4th of July weekend. There'll be no gatherings. We're not going to try to compete with holiday weekends as we go through this core group season as a church family. But Sunday, July 10th is going to be the very first day we're going to begin gathering that afternoon to align around our identity as Formation Church. Now here's, here's what I want to say just as I close before we do some q and I want to ask each of you, and I mean each of you, this is your first Sunday, if you've been here for the entirety of our time together, I want to invite each of you to come with me on this. And I want you to know that I'm very aware that any amount of change is often very hard for us. And so you, man, you might be here and this is your very first Sunday or maybe you're newer to Ridgeline and you're like, I was just, finding a new church sucks. I was just starting to kind of settle in to this whole thing. Well, number one, we are the things that you love about Ridgeline are all going to continue, except the name. If you really love the name, that part is going to change, just so you know. <laughs> but I really do understand that and I still want to invite you on this journey. And maybe you've been here for a long time and you're like, well, Pastor Tyler gave me all these Ridgeline (laughs) T-shirts. Here's what I'd say, okay? I will see you a T-shirt and I will raise you a tattoo. Keep wearing those T-shirts. Again, nothing's dying. We're not having a funeral. We are simply embracing this new chapter that God is leading us into. And no, no, no joke, when we first started talking about this formation thing, Tyler's first thing was like, "What are we going to do with our tattoos?" <laughs> <laughs> Here's my answer no, in all seriousness. <clears throat> this is going to forever live on my body as a memorial to the healing work God has done in my life in the last five years. Nothing. We're not changing the name because something's broken. We're changing the identity because we can believe, we just simply believe we can better be who God called us to be in this new identity. So you keep wearing your t-shirts is what I'm saying. And don't worry, we're going to have, I'm sure, I mean, Pastor Tyler is our executive pastor. You know we're going to have formation t-shirts, okay? There'll be plenty and stickers, probably not the water bottles. We spent so much money on these very nice water bottles and we still have some that you're all welcome to have. (laughs) So in all seriousness, I want to invite you to come with me on this journey. Because what I will promise you, and I feel so confident in the character and nature of God that I feel very confident promising this to you. I promise you that deeper healing awaits us in this new chapter. And so regardless of how long you've been here, man, to be honest, if it's your first week, I think that's kind of awesome. You get to be here from the very, very beginning. And if you've never been a part of planting a church, I got to tell you, it's not easy. But we have an ama- the most amazing group of people that I've ever had to be partnered with. And I promise you, God's going to do a profound work in our midst. And so I want to invite you to come along. Let me pray, and then I'll answer your questions, all right? Father God, I thank you for these people. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you have yet to do. Lord, I thank you for the community, for the church that has emerged from these first couple of, these last couple of years. Lord, you know how hard it's been. You know every wound that each of us carry as a result of it, the scars that some of which we might live with for the rest of our lives but we wear them as trophies to your goodness, to your kindness, to your grace, to your mercy, to your unwillingness to ever leave us or forsake us. And so, Lord, I thank you for what you have done, and I thank you for what you will do. I thank you for the deep, forming work that awaits us in this next chapter. Lord, I pray that you would align our hearts, that you would align our minds, that you would align our lives around this identity, around this vision, and around this mission. And I pray, God, that you would move each and every one of our hearts to say yes to this invitation. God, we entrust ourselves to you. Lord, I believe that our each of us, that our families, that our indi- we as individuals, we need Formation Church. I believe that our valley needs Formation Church. And so, Lord, I pray that you would lead us in to this next chapter, and we trust you to do so because you've been very faithful to us in the last. Thank you for being good. Thank you for being kind. Thank you for being a healer. We love you. We trust you. We need you. And we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. And in one loud voice, everyone said, amen.